I'll be reading 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, The life was made manifest. We have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is God's Word. This letter is a short letter written by a pastor, the Apostle John. He's facing the end of his life. He's walked with Jesus for a long time. He writes this letter to a a small group of, of churches. And he knows them. He knows them well. And he loves them. And his goal is to make sure that they understand and they apply the very basics of Christianity that they have their priorities straight as they come together, as they live as Christians. And they live in a a hostile, pagan culture, surrounded by difficulties and trials and temptations. And he's always saying to them, dear children, Little children. He's not writing to little children, but it's a term of affection. It's a Greek term of affection. I love you and I want you to know this. It's vital. It's central. Don't miss it. And over and over, he emphasizes three things, three tests. You want to test yourself as a Christian? You can do these three things. Number one, what do you think about Jesus? Do you love Jesus as your Savior? Number two, he emphasizes this over and over. Do you have a desire to be obedient to God's Word? Is that something that you long to do? Know God's Word and apply God's Word in your life. And the other emphasis is love for one another. Love for one another. And those are three things that he constantly emphasizes throughout this letter. But he doesn't begin that way. And here's the key. He could have begun this letter saying, you need to listen to more sermons. You need to sing more. We could go right down the line. But he doesn't emphasize that. Again, as a pastor, he could have emphasized preaching, singing, Uh, The sacraments, the Lord's Supper, baptism. But he essentially focuses on one thing as he begins this letter. And that one thing that is vital for them and vital for us is fellowship. Koinonia. 
in Greek. Many of you have heard that word. Fellowship. Koinonia. Now, let's admit it. Boy, we use that word a lot. And you've probably heard it used a lot through the years. And sometimes when we use words like this, uh, so often they can get emptied of of their true, rich, profound, life-changing, biblical meaning. You know, you get a phone call. Hey, we're having a fellowship dinner tonight. We want everybody to come. Uh, Bring your casserole. Bring your spaghetti. Bring your banana pudding and we'll meet in the fellowship hall. And our speakers tonight are representatives from the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and Prison Fellowship. And after they speak, we'll give them the right hand of fellowship. All good. I love Prison Fellowship. I love the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I love banana pudding. All of that is good. Anytime you give me banana pudding... I'm here, I'm there, I I, I love it. But this is one of those words, those churchy words, that is, if we grasp it, it'll change our lives. If we grasp it, it will change our lives. Um, In the Greco-Roman world, in the ancient world, when they heard this word, quinonia, Immediately, what they thought was face-to-face, warm, accepting, loving, personal relationships like marriage and family. If you go to your favorite search engine, you go to your computer and you do a search and you type in fellowship, there's a word that's going to pop up all the time. Or for you brainy types, if you go to your Greek dictionary and you type in or look up koinonia, there's a word. One word. Now, there's a lot of words that will be used, but one word is common. It pops up all the time. Share. Share. Here's what fellowship is. Fellowship is sharing our lives as we grow together in Jesus Christ. That's the essence of fellowship. Fellowship is sharing our lives as we grow together in Jesus Christ. And what John does here in this short passage is he sort of fleshes out that meaning. What is the source of fellowship. He gives us the source of fellowship. Where does it come from? The source of fellowship. The basis of fellowship. What makes fellowship possible? And the experience of fellowship. What does fellowship, real fellowship, biblical fellowship look like in action? The source, the basis, the experience of fellowship. What is the source of fellowship? Where does fellowship, real fellowship, Christian fellowship, life-changing fellowship, where does it come from? Where does it start? What do you think of, and I know a lot of you, and some of you may say this out loud, don't say it out loud, but think about this question. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? 
What does it mean to be made in the image of God? There's something central that we often miss. Sometimes in our minds we think that there's this kind of all-powerful, maybe older man up in heaven sitting on a throne. That's one of the images that, that kind of pops into our head. John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, seen, touched came into this world, but who was with the Father. And what John is doing, he's echoing the very first verse in the Bible. And he's echoing the very first verses in the Gospel of John. In the beginning, God. Genesis 1.1, Genesis 1.26, Let us make man in our own image. Let us make man in our own image. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in John 17, 4, I glorified you on earth. This is Jesus speaking to his Father. I glorified you on earth by completing the task you gave me to do. So now, Father... Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is not an old man in the sky. He's not an impersonal force. In his very nature for all eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is personal. God is relational. God is community at the center of his own being. Now, I know this is hard to grasp, but it makes one thing clear, very clear. We are made in the image of a personal, relational, loving, community God. So we will not grow. We will not thrive. We will not be where we need to be unless we're in fellowship unless we're in community. Jonathan Edwards once said, heaven is a world of love. In heaven there is an infinite fountain of love, the eternal three in one. Made in the image of that God. Again, that's why it hurts so much when relationships are broken or fractured or unhealthy, we know we're made to need fellowship because we're made in the image of that God. What's the basis? What makes this possible? It's not feelings that come and go or the fact that you like everybody. There's an unchangeable truth here. The life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. God came down. God became a child so that you could be a child of God. You know, all that Jesus went through, you think of... I hope we never get tired of thinking and remembering and reflecting upon what Jesus did for us. No Jesus, no fellowship. No Jesus coming, 
and dying and raising from the dead, no fellowship. There's no fellowship without faith in Christ, knowledge of Christ, what Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ came to destroy that wall of separation between us and God. You know, it it should have been us who experienced rejection by all of our friends, who cried to heaven to say, is it necessary that that I die? It should have been us who would have had to say, why are you falling asleep when I need you most? It should have been us who had to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it was Jesus. Sweating blood and drinking the cup and going to the cross in our place. Changing our lives forever. Of course, John had a, another passage that he gives to us in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's what Christ has done for us. And we're called through Christ, knowing where fellowship comes from, faith in Christ, understanding what he has done for us, placing our faith in him alone for our salvation, to now experience life-transforming fellowship with God and with each other. The experience of fellowship, chapter 4, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. It looks like complete joy. It looks like complete joy. You know, there's always a couple of temptations that come with this. One of them is, look, I'm fine. I'm I'm good with Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm saved. I don't need people. Where people are, there's it's just messy. People sin, and I don't like that guy who sits on the front row. Sorry. Uh, the, the church is full of hypocrites. On and on. We've, we've heard that. I'm not a joiner. I'm fine by myself. Uh, church on Sunday messes up my weekends. But then there's the flip side also. Some of us might say, and we've all experienced these two things, I think some of us might say, no, I need the fellowship. I will go, I will be involved in church, I will be an active part of the body of Christ on my terms. If only more people would listen to me and do it my way, you know, you know, let's just let's just deal with all those things like chairs, pews, ties, no ties, what kind of music we can go right down the line. If we come in to any fellowship saying, I'm going to have fellowship on my terms. We won't have fellowship. We won't know and experience real fellowship. If you read down through the rest of this chapter, John gets more and more practical and he answers this question, what destroys fellowship? 
What destroys real fellowship? John tells us later in this chapter, hypocrisy and pride. You know, take that to the bank. You'll experience it in, in life if you're a prideful person. Hypocrisy and pride destroys fellowship. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And then pride. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I'm not a sinner. I'm in good shape. I'm fine. And then what builds fellowship, which helps make it, what helps make it stronger? Obedience to God. But if you will walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the truth about ourselves. Obedience and truth. Obedience to God, the truth about ourselves, recognizing that we need God because of our sin. We need one another because of our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 likens us to a body. He says we're members of one another. Let's sum it up this way. The church is the body of Christ. Fellowship is the blood circulation. The church is the body. Fellowship is the blood circulation. What happens when a part of the body gets cut off from circulation? It doesn't get the nutrients and the feeding that it needs, and it shrivels up and dies. We are made for this. Fellowship is what keeps us healthy. It keeps us growing. It keeps us being conformed uh, to the image of Jesus Christ. I want to say a couple of personal things this morning. No, I'm not going to tell you my deepest, darkest sins. Relax. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for fellowship. Oh, I don't mean at Highlands. I mean a believer. I mean a follower of Christ at a key time in my life, 18 years old, when I had no interest. I was living in Texas, living in Dallas. I had no interest at all in going to listen to a sermon, singing church music, being around Christians. No, thank you. Uh, I lived for going to concerts. And in Dallas, everybody came to Dallas. I've seen Eric Clapton seven times. It just came out. Uh, (laughs) It's too late. (laughs) I've seen George Harrison and Eric Clapton and Bob Dylan three times. I'm aging myself. Uh, James Taylor, Dan Fogelberg, the Almond Brothers, Joe Walsh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. I live for that. Uh, I still love it, but I don't live for it anymore. 
And then there was this group of guys for, who, for whatever reason, took an interest in me and would not leave me alone. And they tried, <laughs> tried to find a point of contact with this person who wasn't very pleasant and not very likable. And they did. It wasn't one guy. It was a group of guys. It was a fellowship. And you know, fellowships aren't about themselves. They're about drawing others in and making the fellowship larger and more dynamic and more healthy and growing. And they, looking back, they got this. They got this passage. And, and their application was with one another and with me. They invited me to things. They walked with me through life. They took me places. They spent time. And they had a, they didn't have a sort of a compartmentalized worldview. They saw everything in the light of Christ. You couldn't miss it. And then shortly thereafter, um, I met... A girl, there's always a girl in the story, you know. Uh, I met a girl who came from a far-off place, a far-off mysterious place that I had never been to. This place was called Mississippi. And we, we really fell in love, and we longed for fellowship with other believers. And we found ourselves committing our lives to fellowship um, we committed our lives to, to fellowship in, in, in small groups, in large churches, small churches, over lunch, over breakfast, over tears, and over smiles. We committed our lives to fellowship. And it, it's just been <laughs> such a rich blessing for us. Um, Ended up coming to Mississippi and going to seminary here and, and being called into uh, the church, into the PCA. And I was sitting around with a group of guys just a few years ago, a group of leaders in, the, in our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America. And one of them looked at me out of the blue and said, you know, Brad, John's soul is still following your ministry. How do you know John's soul? Well, John Soule was the, the sort of leader of this group of guys that came after me. I said, how do you know John Soule? He said, he's about to become the president of Reformed Theological Seminary in Atlanta. Wow. Praise God. Now he is leading men into fellowship, into the ministry. What a great spot. And, and at General Assembly, our annual gathering, I, I reacquainted myself with John. I hadn't seen him for years. And we were just astounded by God's grace in our lives, how he had worked and changed us and used us in spite of our best efforts. God had been gracious to us through the years. And now we find ourselves at Highlands. And we're looking for fellowship. Um, we, we can't know everyone intimately, but one of the reasons why I came here 
came back to this area is, is this place, how people care and they accept and they know and they walk with and they laugh and they cry. Um, I, I'm, I'm being honest here. I, I've never been around a, a group of elders who are more committed to this. A group of shepherds that are committed to wading in and helping and walking alongside. And a lot of you never see it. Um, but many of you do. I, I know you know that at the same time. And we're just thrilled to be a part of a place like Highlands. Real fellowship, real shepherding, real health. But you know, when the Mercers go somewhere, we don't do it halfway. We've got three generations at Highlands. In two years, we have three generations of... Watch out, there's probably one sitting next to you. Actually, there's not. She's, my daughter's at home just had another baby. Cindy and me, first generation. Uh, my son-in-law and daughter. Um, next generation, they're in the, the well, young adult community. And very blessed by that. And three grandsons. Ethan, Levi, and Luke, who was born just a couple of weeks ago. You'll notice with the names, we've moved from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we are being blessed by you. At several levels, all at once. And it means the world to us. We're experiencing it. Uh, we, we understand it, but we've also got, what, what that also means is for you and even for our own family, we have a vested interest that Highlands is providing now and preparing for the future. That Highlands Presbyterian Church is providing now and preparing for the future. As Joseph mentioned earlier, we're, if we wanted to establish a new fellowship if we wanted to establish a new community adult class we couldn't do it we're out of room if you haven't noticed we have a uh, a prolific church uh, there are children everywhere and and our our nursery is bursting at the seams and we need more room in our nursery some of you may not be as familiar with mother's morning out a wonderful outreach ministry uh, during the week. A few years ago, Mother's Morning Out was nine children. Now it's 60. It's already 75% full for the 13-14, 2013-2014 year. It's, it's three quarters full. And we could go on and on, and you, you've heard that, but as um, we can't all gather together in, in one place. You, you got a taste of that if you were at the Christmas Eve Service. Let me close with this. A man who dedicated his life, if you want to read a, a, an excellent little book on fellowship, one of the best books on fellowship ever written. A little thin book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Life Together. Makes a great Bible study book. He dedicated his entire life to fellowship. In fact, he gave his life for fellowship. He escaped Nazi Germany. He felt called back to create fellowship with, with other men and younger ministers, and he went back and he gave his life. He was imprisoned and killed just before the end of World War II. 
Listen to what he says. Wonderful perspective, and I'll close with this. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to every believer. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to every believer. The prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile, seasoned the companionship of a fellow Christian, a physical sign of the gracious presence of God. I don't know if you've ever thought of yourself that, that way, but that's what you are. Season the companionship of a fellow Christian, a physical sign of the gracious presence of God. How inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who are privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with other Christians. The daily fellowship of life. Do you know this? Do you experience it? Do you long for it? You can find it here. Let's pray. Lord, nothing in our hands we bring simply to the cross we cling. We come bringing ourselves to you, needing forgiveness and grace and mercy and new life and fellowship. Lord, we recognize, we know, we understand that you have told us to be in fellowship, to seek fellowship, to share your life as you grow in Jesus Christ. This is what we're made for. This is what we're called to. And there is no one who doesn't need it. And there's no one who should be excluded from it. We are made to need it. Oh Lord, continue to bless our fellowship, our body, our oneness, our growth, and cause us to be preparing for the future as we continue to draw more and more and more and more people into what they're made for. The fellowship with you, O Lord, and with one another. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.